0: Hello, I'm Charles Robinson. Welcome to Future City, the monthly show here on WYPR, where we move the conversation from what's wrong to what's next. How do you draw a map for Maryland's congressional and legislative districts? Well, that depends. Under the Maryland Constitution, the lines shall be drawn every 10 years following the national census. Well, a funny thing happened Before any of the maps were drawn, the census count was delayed, which caused the maps to be delayed. The legislature and the governor normally concur on the maps. With Democrats dominating the legislature and a Republican governor as the chief executive, it was inevitable they wouldn't see eye to eye. The governor put forth an independent commission to look at the congressional map. The legislature had the Legislative Redistricting Advisory Commission, commonly referred to as LRAC, create its own map, which it adopted. You can see the differences in the map on the WYPR website under the Future City tab. A number of entities sued to throw out the maps or choose a different map, as you can imagine a lot of this is tied up in the courts. Well, we've asked some experts to weigh in. Joel McCord and John Lee of WYPR are joined by Will Ford of the Washington Informer as they tell us how we got here in our second segment. In our last segment, Yuri Rindisky of the Brennan Centers has looked at nonpartisan redistricting commissions and gives us a guide as to what independent commissions should look like. Doug Mayer of Fair Maps is with the group challenging the Maryland maps. He will weigh in on how the court should see the challenges and rule in their favor. But let's begin our conversation with a definition of terms to help you understand what we're talking about and what they mean. I'm joined by Professor Tard Eppley of of St. Mary's College. First of all, Todd, um, we're talking about maps. And there are basically three maps. But before we get into the actual maps, let's talk about some terms that people may be familiar with and may not be familiar with. Let's start with the term gerrymandering. What is gerrymandering?
1: So the term itself actually dates back to um, 1812, when the Massachusetts Governor Elbridge Gary, not Jerry, uh, drew a Senate district to benefit his party, the Democratic Republicans. And someone made the remark that the strangely drawn district looked like a uh, salamander. And their comment was made, that's not a salamander, that's a gerrymander. And over the years, of course, we've lost that original Elbridge-Gary connection, and, and everyone just refers to it as gerrymandering now. But it's the drawing of congressional districts to either benefit your party or to disadvantage the other party. And you can also do the same with state legislative really any district from which you elect somebody to represent you.
0: Well, we've added some new terms to uh, this process. The terms cracking and packing, let's start with packing. What is that all about?
1: So in packing, what you'll do, typically the majority party will take as many of the minority party in the state's voters as possible and pack them all into one or maybe two districts so that they don't have more influence across the state. Uh, That way, you know, the majority party can then draw the rest of the districts to benefit them.
2: Well,
0: let's talk about cracking. What is cracking?
1: So with cracking, what you do is you take a population that may be worthy of a congressional district or a representative district, and you break them up into smaller populations to either lessen their voice or you might use a highly concentrated area of one party's voters and crack them into multiple congressional or legislative districts in order to boost the majority party's numbers in each of those districts.
0: You and I both have been watching this for some time, and people have made this a science. You know, initially it was kind of just a, well, we're going to shift some people here and that talk about some of the science behind some of this.
1: Well, now what you can do is you can break all of these districts down to the precinct level. And you could look at the percentage of registered voters by party. You can look at how they voted in prior elections, all depending on what state law will allow you to do. And then you can, I mean, draw meticulously mapped out districts where you can predict with, with a pretty good degree of accuracy what the partisan vote breakdown is going to be in those districts. So the advance of great mapping, of the easy availability of data. Has really allowed us to turn this into exactly what you said a science, a science based on creating the optimal uh, electoral landscape for the party that's in charge of the process.
0: All right, well, let's drill down on Maryland because that's where we are and that's what we like to look at. There are three different maps that have been drawn. The first is the congressional district. So let's talk specifically about how Maryland has changed its map drawing over the years. I remember when Martin O'Malley drew a map and the federal courts threw it out and said, hey, that's not going to work. Give some of the thoughts into uh, how the maps were being drawn and how they're drawn this time.
1: Maryland does have um, some of what are considered to be the, the most gerrymandered districts in the country, even after you know doing uh, redrawings in, in the past. Um, And and part of this has to do with the fact that the Republican voters in Maryland are in western Maryland, they're on the eastern shore, they're in southern Maryland. The Democratic electorate is along that I-95 corridor between the beltways, and what is frequently done is those Democratic core areas are cracked and split across other areas of the state mixed in with some western districts of eastern shore districts in order to create more Democratic districts than you might expect. This wasn't always the case. Uh, At one point, Maryland actually had an equal split of of Republicans and Democrats in the legislature. And over time, that has shifted from 4-4 to to 5-3 to 6-2. And now it's it's seven Democrats. And And
0: we're talking about the majority party. That would be the Democrats,
1: correct? Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I like to refer to the majority party just because I want people to understand in states where this is controlled by Republicans, they do exactly the same thing. So Democrats and Republicans alike use this process to their advantage. But yes, you're right. In Maryland, the majority party is the Democrats.
0: Let's talk about this new congressional map. The governor inserted himself into this process by creating a separate commission, and they put forth a map. And then the legislature had its own um, legislative group that actually created a separate map And this is the map that was actually uh, selected. And they're currently in court. Let's talk a little bit about this new map, because uh, there was at least one Republican still holding on to a congressional seat. But they have redrawn this map. Explain what that map looks like.
1: Sure. Uh, This is the map of the 1st Congressional District on the Eastern Shore. It used to encompass the Eastern Shore and then a section of the northern part of Maryland up near the Pennsylvania border. It was a safe, overwhelmingly safe Republican district. Democrats, in fact, had packed Republicans into it. Uh, They've redrawn that district, taken parts of Harford County and, and northern parts of the state out of the district, And now it crosses the Bay Bridge uh, into Anne Arundel County, putting more Democrats into the district. So it went from a district that um, Joe Biden would have lost by a a relatively comfortable margin into a district now where Joe Biden, I believe, would have won by about a percentage point. So what they've done is they've taken what was once a safe Republican district and turned it into a competitive or what we often call a swing district.
0: I want to uh, remind folks that this is currently being litigated, (laughs) even as we speak. uh, Before we get into the litigation, I need to talk about the second map, which is how you draw the actual districts for members of the state legislature. Over the years, since I've been covering this, is, is that the legislature always draws safe districts for themselves, because they don't want I would say competitive districts. Explain how that process works, because it's a little bit different. The governor has no say in this, although he can put forth a map. But it's the legislature that is actually drawing those maps.
1: Right. You know, in the end, Maryland's constitution is a bit ambiguous with regard to congressional districts. It offers more guidance on the making of these state legislative districts. And as you said, the governor can prepare a map. The General Assembly under the the state constitution can prepare their own. And ultimately, whatever the General Assembly approves is what becomes the map pending any court challenges. So the the Democrats in Maryland always had an upper hand when it came to creating these maps. And even though there are some guidelines about respecting uh, existing political boundaries, Um, trying to keep the district compact, you can employ the exact same process of looking down at the precinct level and drawing districts that you are pretty comfortable are either going to be safe Democratic or safe Republican districts.
0: Todd, I'm going to tell you that I've watched this process before, and probably the thing that kind of made me stand up and sit back was the fact that It actually got down to the councilmatic districts across this state. Mm -hmm. I could tell you two of those areas that I had to take a second look at was Baltimore County and the councilmatic districts there. There was a challenge by the NAACP and other interested parties to create what are called minority majority districts down in Prince George's County, there was also an issue regarding how the lines were being drawn and who was going to get selected. And I know down in your neck of the woods, there was an actual challenge down there. Let's start with what was going on down in your neck of the woods.
1: Well, I mean, obviously this comes down to partisan concerns over the competitiveness of the districts that are going to be drawn. Uh, As most people know, our our politics have become very polarized and you look for advantage for your party at any level of government that you can. And if you're in a position where you can have control over the drawing of it, that's what you're going to do. And then with the issue of the majority minority districts, the the unfortunate truth in American politics is that it's still unusual uh, for a person of color to win in a district that is majority white, it is much more likely to happen in these uh, districts that are being drawn to be majority minority. So, when you take an area that has a, a relatively large minority population, and I mean, we've now reached a point where Maryland is less than half uh, white only, when those majority minority districts aren't being created, I, I think that there's a legitimate question that is often asked by organizations like the NAACP of whether or not uh, voters of color are being uh, denied the chance uh, to to have that electoral choice.
0: One of the things that is taken into consideration when drawing all of these maps is the census. Mm -hmm. Todd, the census was delayed and and that really (laughs) hurt a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Talk about how the census kind of kind of, I don't want to call it the divining rod, but it is kind of
1: like the divining rod that determines who and where gets elected. Right, I mean, and this is this was what was always intended. Every 10 years, we do a, a count of our population, and then we adjust our representation based on that population. That's, that's how the House of Representatives was to be set up. And that's what most states adopted for um, their legislatures. And then in the 1960s, there's, there were a series of court cases that made it very clear that any district from which you elect a representative, you have got to balance the population of those districts as much as possible. Otherwise, you violate this idea of uh, one person, one vote. So the census becomes crucial. When the census is delayed, it can delay the, the drawing of these maps. And then, of course, you can add to this that whenever you draw the maps, if you're going to be challenged in court, those court cases can can cause delays as well. But you've got to have the census to know how much the population in your state and in districts in your state has shifted so that you know what has to be redrawn and what has to be adjusted.
0: Okay, let's get to the fun part of this conversation, Todd. There has been a court challenge and uh, the Court of Special Appeals, the, the Chief Judge, Getty, has ruled, we're gonna delay all of the voting and we're going to delay, you know, whether or not he's gonna rule on some of these. Mm-hmm. I hate to ask you, look at that crystal ball of yours and tell me, where are we
1: headed? You know, it's it's a great question because if if ultimately one of these challenges wins, then it's gonna result in the maps being redrawn. And you know I, I, I hate to sort of say it out loud, but potentially pushing things back even farther uh, than they have been pushed. But the, there was a recognition uh, in the court that if this case is going to be moving forward, it could be detrimental to candidates if they file for election in a district, but then the map is tossed and they wind up not being in that district. Or it may, if the district lines shift, Encourage someone to file to run for office who wouldn't have under the prior map. So the court was looking for a solution. The solution was to to push the primary further into summer, which I think raises legitimate concerns about will people be confused, confused about the date? Will turnout be low because you're now into July? I think these are all valid questions, but at the same time, the court had to figure out some remedy to accommodate the possibility that these maps may change.
0: So I'm gonna tell you that, um this is this is kind of like a if and a wish, if we could have an election, I wish it would happen on this date. <laughs> could we be moving to a scenario where even the general election could be pushed? or is that just like off the table?
1: Yeah, I think moving the general election is off the table.
0: I've been talking to St. Mary's College political science professor. Todd Ellerby, I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City here on 88.1 WYPR. Well, we have to take a brief break when we come back. A conversation with three political reporters, Joel McCord and John Lee of WYPR, and they'll be joined by Will Ford of The Washington Informer. They'll break down how we got here and what's at stake. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Charles Robinson and you're listening to Future City, the monthly show here on 88.1 WYPR, where we move the conversation from what's wrong to what's next. On today's show, we're looking at the congressional district and even local maps for council seats. Joining me for this part of the conversation are a trio of of political reporting pros. They include Joel McCord and John Lee of the WYPR reporting team and Washington and former reporter Will Ford who covers Prince George's County. Joel, let's begin with you and let's talk a little bit about uh, state maps. First and foremost, there are two major maps that the legislature has to deal with. The first being the congressional maps. Let's begin with that one first. Um, Normally, every 10 years, we get a census, and then we look at population shifts. How did that work out this year?
3: Well, first, it was delayed uh, because the census was delayed getting the results, which meant uh, drawing these maps was delayed. But they came out with the the legislative redistricting advisory Commission, which was created by uh, House Speaker Adrian Jones and Senate President Bill Ferguson, uh, came out with their maps where, um, they were you know two Democrats or four Democrats on the uh, committee and and two Republicans. no surprise, the two Republicans voted against those maps. Uh, then there was Governor Hogan's. Citizens Redistricting Advisory Commission, with, which came out with its own maps, which were a bit different than the, uh, than, than the Legislative Redistricting Advisory Commission maps.
0: Several years ago, when Martin O'Malley was the uh, governor of this state, he redrew a district uh, out in Western Maryland and combined it with Montgomery County. Um, It wasn't necessarily exactly how they ended up with the map, but what, what was that all about, Joel, when, when Martin initially drew this map, trying to get rid of a Republican out in Western Maryland?
3: Well, that was exactly what it was about, about trying to get as many Democrats in Congress from Maryland as they could. And what they did, with little trick in Western Maryland was To go across the top of the state, you know, from out in Garrett County and somewhere in Frederick County, suddenly cut down into Montgomery County to pick up all those Democrats down there. And that's what got us David Trone, uh, now the congressman from the 6th District, a Democrat from Montgomery County.
0: My question to you, uh, Joel, is by, uh, you know, there are some terms that you and I talk about often just called cracking and packing. Right how would you describe uh this move i would say it's cracking trying to
3: crack the district so that you've got more democrats into it uh there are there are other districts that we could say they're packing they're trying to jam as many uh people of of the who would you know potentially vote the same way in into uh into other districts
0: i note that um We are unlike many of the states in this country, where there is uh, a majority of Republicans who are drawing maps, and in this case, we have Democrats who are drawing maps. How does that look? I mean, will it change the calculation at all?
3: Having Democrats draw the maps, sure. And you know, one of the points that the Democrats here in Maryland make is that the Republicans are gerrymandering in Ohio, Texas, Pennsylvania, pick your state, where, where they have the majority, and the Democrats are saying uh, they're not going to disarm if, if if those Republican-led states are going to be gerrymandered too. Right. Uh, you know, I, I forget which conservative uh, commentator it was now, who said that? Um, you know, look, everybody does it. What you got to you got to fix it at a national level if you want to fix it.
0: Well, it's not just the national level where there are problems, and I've asked uh, two reporters who will drill down on what's going on in their backwoods. I want to introduce uh, Will Ford, who's with the Washington Informer. Will, you're down in Prince George's County. This has actually gotten drilled down to the local level, at the county uh, level. Talk a little bit about what's going on at Prince George's County.
4: Thank you, Charles. Well, let me go back. The county council went and appointed a redistricting commission back in January of 2021. Redistrict commission went, a three-member commission, Dr. Charlene Dukes, who was former president of the uh, Prince George Community College, you had David Harrington, who's the president and CEO of the County County Chamber of Commerce and the uh, Reverend James Patterson, who's pastor of Tree of Life Ministries in Clinton. They worked on this for almost pretty much half a year. And they went and sent their recommendations to the county council. And and this was around August, but the deadline was September. Between August, September, that time was when there was no updated census information. Once that data came in, council was able to look at it and they believe, OK, let's look at what the redistricting commission has. In October, Derek Davis presented a new proposed map for that county council was going to uh, look at. And then in November, there was this big public hearing that lasted almost five hours. Let me go back very quickly to October. There's a quote I got to I must mention for, for the listeners. It was from Mel Franklin. He said, quote, I just want to reiterate to the public. We are not adopting the redistricting plan today, he said. Based on the emails I got, people really believe that. That is just far from the case. This is just the start of another public input process, end quote. I read that quote because residents believed council had it in their minds, the six would approved about it. They were gonna vote for it, and they did. And from that November public hearing, more than 100 people. It was actually 153, 154 who registered to speak.
0: But those who did register to speak, no one spoke in favor of this redistricting plan. That caused a a lawsuit, didn't it? And a number of folks said, "We don't want this map." Where are we today? Uh, you know, I know we're we're far removed from getting a finality, but where are we right now?
4: Well, right now, Charles, Robert Thurston, he is one of the lead plaintiffs who filed this uh, more of a civil suit in court, basically saying, and, and and his attorney, which did a very slick move, went and challenged it on a technicality. The lower courts agreed, but the county appealed to the Maryland Court of Appeals. So what we have now is the redistricting commissions map will go into effect. If, 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 um, if, the mat, if the council did not approve, make any formal approvals of the map, the redistricting commission submitted, it automatically goes into effect as the new map. And what people were real upset about, which, which is still being talked about, but now they feel it's a, um, a moral victory, not only moral victory, but that the courts saw fit to agree with what the community wanted. Eric Olson, Crystal Oriada and Tamara Davis Brown; those three were going to challenge and run for run for office, and two of them are going to run, run against individuals who are currently on council. And they got moved out of their out of their districts through the plan the county council approved. Now that it stands, Crystal Oriada, for example, can challenge current council member Rodney Streeter,
0: but Rodney Streeter has not officially filed yet. John Lee, you have been watching this first and foremost, as I understand it, there was this desire by a number of African-Americans within Baltimore County to get a second minority majority district. Let's go through one, how we got here and two, what the courts have said so far.
5: Well, the process in the county has been somewhat similar to what happened in Prince George's uh, that Will laid out at first. There was a redistricting commission, they met last year, they came up with the map. And it was interesting, Charles. It was very much a slow build in the county. That first redistricting commission public hearing, I was there. One other guy was there who, who spoke to against what was being proposed. Uh, and that was it. That was one of the shortest meetings I've ever been to. Uh but Go ahead a, f- a couple more months. You started to feel that the, uh, that the opposition was growing, particularly. I have to remember those early public hearings in, in June of last year, there were no numbers yet. You know, they, the numbers were late coming in from the census. I was going to say, this has been this
0: pattern, if you will, of li- a delay of these census numbers to begin to draw these maps. Is that right, John?
5: That, that's exactly right. And so we didn't really get a sense of what the maps were really going to look like until the fall. The Districting Commission proposes a map, and it wasn't much different from the map that's currently in place. And that map, there are seven council members in Baltimore County. There's one council district that is a majority black district. Uh, it was set up 20 years ago. Its purpose was to get a black person on the Baltimore County Council, and it was successful. Uh, more than 70% of the district is black. Uh, and so that was going to be preserved under the map that was passed first by the redistricting commission, and then later by the Baltimore County Council. But the rub from, as you mentioned, uh, the American Civil Liberties Union of Maryland, uh, the NAACP of Baltimore County, they were saying that was a packing in process that needed to be broken up because um, having again, 70, using
0: these terms that I want people yeah, to understand. The idea yeah, of packing is putting a whole lot of the same people in one district, right, John?
5: That is correct. And so when you have more than 70% of a district made up of Black voters, the argument was take, some, take thousands of those voters, move them into an adjoining district, make that Black majority as well, and then you'll have two Black majority districts, improving the odds you could have two uh, Black council members because the, the county's population is roughly 30% African American. Uh, What went as a very quiet beginning, by the time they finally got this to public hearing in December, it was a long, hours-long public hearing with basically everybody opposing this proposed map. The council passes it anyway the following week. Right after that vote on December 20th, I was watching the Twitter feed, and I saw ACLU of Maryland saying, see you in court, and the very next day they found suit. Well, first
0: of all, gentlemen, thank you so very much for laying out the the issues and the problems. This is one of the most complicated issues I think the state has faced in quite some time. I tell you what, I want to give every each one of you a, a, some final thoughts. Joel, let's begin with you. Um, where do we go? To court. <laughs> you know what John said. See you in court. See you, see in, you court. in court, and that's where we're going. What about you, Will? What do you think? Uh, is it uh, we'll see you in court, or we'll kind of go? We'll, let's see how it plays out. Well,
4: at least in Prince George's County, it, it may appear that the new, the, the what the
0: redistricting commission did is going to stay, and a lot of residents say, "Thank goodness." What about you, John? What do you think? Uh, Where are we
5: going with this one? Well, one thing is important to remember, which is that I had an interview with John Willis, the former secretary of state, about this. And he reminded me in the end, redistricting is about incumbents wanting to keep power. And so what's been created, at least in Baltimore County, is it is a map that favors the incumbents uh, as the red districts are more red, the blue districts are more blue. So setting aside what the NAACP and the ECLU are, are upset about. In the end, you got incumbents doing their best to hold on to their seats.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that's John Lee. He covers Baltimore County for WYPR. We've also been joined by Will Ford, who covers Prince George's County for the Washington Informer. And of course, Joel McCord, who looks at everything at the state house and what it's underneath that as well. Gentlemen, thank you so very much for joining. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City here on 881 WYPR. We have to take a brief break, but don't you go away. When we come back, we'll hear from those advocating in favor of changing Maryland's maps and an advocacy group who wants to set the parameters for impartial redistricting commissions. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City, the monthly show here on 88.1 WYPR, where we move the conversation from what's wrong to what's next. There is a sense in Maryland and across the country, it is time to get legislative bodies and governors out of redrawing congressional and legislative districts. Following the census, the partisan nature of map drawing has made our politics coarse. Only a handful of states have gone to independent commissions, and Maryland is not one of those states. The Brenner Center for Justice has been looking at what would truly constitute a nonpartisan commission. Let's begin with this, Yuri. You have put out a study of what constitutes a nonpartisan, if you will, commission. What criteria uh, do you believe actually makes sense?
6: Well, there are really four key ingredients to setting up an independent redistricting commission. The first is, uh, unsurprisingly, independence, which is achieved by selecting a panel of individuals usually um, somewhere between nine and 15 members that fairly represent the political, racial, and regional diversity of a particular state. The goal for these individuals and selecting these individuals is that they're at arm's length from politics, that they don't have a personal vested interest. They don't have a sibling or a spouse who's an elected official or a party official. They're not elected officials or party officials themselves. Uh, They're not prominent lobbyists. So essentially lay people, people who certainly have political views, but don't stand to benefit from the decisions that they're making themselves. That's ingredient number one. Two, you need transparency, which means rules governing um, how the public can interact with redistricting. The public needs to be giving Access to the process throughout. It needs to be given access to the data uh, and it needs opportunities for meaningful input. And and this input should come both before maps are drawn and after there are draft districts created. The third thing is clear guidance for the commission. You want a a set of rules that are prioritized, that are uh, the criteria that the commission is seeking to implement. Because an independent commission includes people who aren't uh, political insiders, who aren't necessarily experts in redistricting, they need to be given instructions on what to do. So this clear guidance is absolutely critical so they can carry out their mission. And the fourth and, and, and a very important ingredient is judicial oversight any redistricting process, no matter how well intentioned, no matter how well designed and set up, needs safeguards. Uh, It means that voters after the fact, after maps have been drawn, can file lawsuits that ensure compliance with the rules, which means that the rules need to be written in a way that a court can um, take a look at them and and apply them and really assess the maps that that, that have been produced for their legality.
0: Yuri, um, we're here in Maryland And we're a little bit different in that we have a Democratic legislature and a Republican governor. They haven't been able to see eye to eye. Give us some ideas as
6: to uh, what you're seeing. Well, I think this is unfortunately pretty common these days and and a sign of of political polarization uh, in states that have uh, split control of government. Uh, the parties have virtually been in, it, it's been virtually impossible for the parties to come together and agree on compromise and i think maryland is no different in that regard uh i think the the the, the meaningful difference is is that democrats had the numbers to override uh the governor's will uh in redistricting and 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 so that suggests uh in this political environment that independent redistricting Is the way. Uh, Bipartisanship is not something that can be counted on when the stakes are as high as they are uh, in the drawing of political districts, which really determines so much about how politics will play out uh, over the course of the coming decade. Yuri,
0: obviously, we've been getting some rulings, and probably the latest ruling comes from the Supreme Court in a case where it made the determination that a particular map that um, set aside some minority majority districts wasn't valid. Can you talk a little bit about that?
6: This has been one of the most challenging things uh, from our standpoint as a uh, organization that's concerned with people's voting rights, with civil rights more broadly, Uh, there are fewer and fewer safeguards. There are fewer and fewer tools that we can deploy to ensure that all communities be treated fairly. Uh, And key protections that have ensured that uh, communities of color get their fair share of representation, get an equal opportunity to elect candidates of choice are being eroded very, very quickly by federal courts that are hostile to uh, the Voting Rights Act, and to these mechanisms that have been in place since the civil rights era that have greatly improved our political processes and the opportunities afforded to all Americans.
0: Yuri, thank you so very much for your insights. So we appreciate it. And we look forward to reading more from the
6: Brennan Center. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: While that view from the Brennan Center may be utopian, The Fair Maps Coalition of Maryland sees this as a fight of a lifetime. Doug Mayer is the group's spokesperson. First of all, Doug, let's begin with how did we get
2: here? Sure. It's an excellent question. Um, Gerrymandering as a practice, as an idea has been around, I mean, almost since the beginning of this country for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, It wasn't It was a problem, but it wasn't as big of a problem until the technology really got better. So about 10, 15 years ago, uh, I guess during the 2010 uh, census process and the redistricting that took place during that time, the mapping technology uh, and the ability to really laser cut communities and roads and homes away from each other really improved. And it allowed gerrymandering to become what we call extreme gerrymandering, right? And this is where, you know, a state like Maryland, which has elected a Republican governor three out of the last five elections, uh, is on the verge of now having eight Democratic uh, congressional, you know, elected officers um, in, in in Congress. And, you know, what you see across the country, when people complain about Washington, D.C., and they see that it's increasingly filled with self-aggrandizing bozos, right? Well, the reason that is is because of gerrymandering. We've basically gotten rid of the primary, uh, excuse me, the general election, and made the primary election the the only one that matters. And so we send people to Washington D.C. to the halls of Congress who are really only elected by one small group of people, and it's usually the far right or the far left, Um, they're sent to DC not to compromise. They're actually sent specifically not to compromise. Uh, And we shouldn't be surprised by the results that we see. I
0: wanna ask about Fair Maps, Maryland. Uh, Obviously uh, you're kind of their spokesperson. Explain to the general public what Fair Maps is.
2: So, so Fair Maps Maryland was a—it's an independent nonprofit organization that we put together to really help educate um, Marylanders about the issue of gerrymandering, about kind of the census process and redistricting that takes place. You know, in 2010, when Maryland's, you know, legislative and congressional districts were heavily gerrymandered, not a lot of people really understood why this redistricting process was important. Since then, um, there's been lots of news coverage of it. People like yourself have focused on it, and that's important. We wanted to make sure that during this next process, right, that we kind of were in the middle of right now or towards the end of, that Marylanders understood that, you know, there are folks in Annapolis who draw these maps. They are driven by political, uh, very specific political agenda. It's not necessarily to draw the best, most representative districts, it's to draw districts that elect one party. And one party only, uh, and we thought it was very important to highlight that fact. We were also specifically working to promote the work of the Maryland Citizens Redistricting Commission, uh, something that the governor put together. That was a nonpartisan and bipartisan uh, commission that you know drew maps that were rated and um, uh, that were graded very, very highly by uh, independent groups that that look at these things. So it was kind of twofold.
0: I wanna drill down on this idea that uh, there is a process by which maps are drawn. It is constitutionally mandated. The governor um, gets an opportunity to present his ideas and the legislature gets to present their ideas. I'm guessing at the end of this process, specifically as we go through the court process, you're looking for some, I don't want to call it closure, but as much as a different idea. Explain that, if you will.
2: Sure. So, you know, over the last eight years, Governor Hogan has put forward uh, legislation bills on the Maryland General Assembly to do away with the current process we have now, where the legislators get behind closed doors and they draw their maps and you know that's usually what gets passed. He wants there. He wants there to be and this. You know, 18 other states uh, in our country have this: a non-political, non-partisan uh, commission. You know, that gets together every 10 years for the redistricting process, and, and that draws the maps with public input. Right? Take the politicians out of it. Politicians, God bless them. <laughs> we all know them. Shouldn't be picking their own voters and drawing their own districts. Right. Now, the governor has put forward that bill to create that process eight years and eight years in a row. uh, They've shot him down on that. Um, You know, what we're hoping that the circuit court does and then eventually Maryland's highest court, the uh, Maryland Court of Appeals, we hope that they declare that the maps that the legislature put together are, in fact, unconstitutional uh, and that they either accept what the Citizens Commission put together or they send it back to the legislature with very specific guidelines on how to draw these maps in a correct way. Uh, but it is important to know, and it's important for your viewers to know, that 18, I think 17 or 18 other states in this country had this nonpartisan commission process, including our, our friends and neighbors right down in Virginia.
0: I'm to ask about how we get, how do we deal with politics after this? Because I think, some people will say there's this, this is creating a coarseness. Can we ever be able to move beyond this?
2: Well, listen, uh, America and politics have been intertwined <laughs> you know, since the moment someone stepped on these shores. So uh, and it seems awful now, but you know, listen, it's always been uh, kind of a rough and tumble sport. But gerrymandering has made it particularly bad, not just on in the newspapers or on cable television or online now, but really in the in Congress, you know, where these folks work. Right? People always traded blows in the newspaper. That's as that's as old as time, right? But the fact that they're just unwilling to work together in D.C. to get anything done—that's the real. That's a real problem. I mean. When you hear that a bill passes in D.C. these days, it's almost surprising. Right? Uh, we need to get back to that, and we need to get back to where you can disagree with folks, uh, even very strongly, but still get a beer with them, right? Uh, still pass a law with them, decide that something is not really political; it's just what's good for the country. Uh, and by limiting gerrymandering, uh, it's a really good way to do it. Uh, it's not perfect. You're still going to have uh, idiots in DC, but um, this is a good place to start.
0: That was Doug Mayer of Fair Maps, Maryland. Before Doug was Yuri Radinsky of the Brennan Center for Justice. When we come back, I'll provide some final thoughts. Welcome back. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City the monthly show here on 88.1 WYPR, where we move the conversation from what's wrong to what's next. When we began this show on Maryland's redistricting maps, we knew the courts could weigh in at any moment. Here's an update on some things we talked about. Retired Judge Lynn Battaglia, who heard a challenge to the congressional maps, ruled the map approved by the legislature violated Article 3, Section 4 of the Maryland Constitution. In the 94-page ruling, Judge Bataglia concluded partisanship was a predominant factor in traditional redistricting. The judge called the plan an outlier and a product of extreme partisan gerrymandering. The legislature has, until March 30th, to present a new plan. The chief judge of the Maryland Court of Appeals, Judge Joe Getty, has changed the filing deadline for primary candidates twice. To be eligible to run in the new primary, which is July 19th, you have to file paperwork by April the 15th. John Lee of WIPR talked about a second minority majority district in Baltimore County A judge has ruled that instead of creating a separate district, they will move more minority voters into District 2, which is in Pikesville. Minorities will now make up 41% of the electorate. Before, they were just a mere 30%. During our taping, we also learned the Supreme Court continues to weigh in on voting rights cases as challenges are heard from around the country. So who are we? It's difficult to say. The census gives us a snapshot every 10 years. During the last several cycles, it's clear minorities are gaining a stronghold at the expense of the majority population. It's not like we haven't seen this before. Think of the waves of new immigrants who embrace the American dream and add it to the tapestry that is the United States. Forces have always challenged the American and democratic experiment. We will persevere because the Declaration of Independence so eloquently states, we hold these truths to be self-evident. False narratives will fade into the background and our better angels will prevail. Thank you to today's guests for sharing the expertise and allowing us to hear their knowledge. Future City is produced and edited by Spencer Bryant. You can listen to extended conversations with all our guests and find out more by visiting wypr.org and searching for Future City. You can also see those maps. We welcome your feedback and you can email us with your thoughts and questions about the show at futurecity, that's one word, at wypr.org. Until next time, I'm Charles Robinson for 881 WYPR and my producer, Spencer Bryan, and everyone who makes Future City possible. We hope your dreams of tomorrow become a reality. I'm your host, Charles Robinson.